The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to another episode of The Shaken and Stirred Show. I'm Nigel Barker and I happen to be in the Hamptons this week. Yes, the end of the summer and I'm looking at a beautiful garden and I've just been driving around in the Hamptons and it's it's stunning here, as many of you may already know. And I'm with a great friend of mine, Tom Astad, the co-host of The Shaken and Stirred Show, who is not in the Hamptons with me, but has a history of the Hamptons, don't you, Tom, in your family? We do, we do. I wish I was in the Hamptons. I am in Oxfordshire, in the Cotswolds, where it's very flat, it's kind of cold, it's, there's a whiff of the fall coming in, and true to, true to good old-fashioned English summer, we haven't really had one. We've been waiting in anticipation for the heat wave to arrive. It's a wonderful heat wave. Whenever the, the, the Met Office, which is people that do the weather here, whenever they start talking about that in June, you know that no heat wave is going to arrive. Um, and it's just something that sort of keeps people from, you know, becoming violent or something. I don't know. Anyway, we've had no summer. It's it's shit. The weather's been shit. Um, we have weather. We don't have a climate. And the gardens look wonderful. Been quite a lot of rain. And uh, what can I say? Yeah, I, I, you, know, you know, having not travelled for two years now, um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm itching to go somewhere <laughs> warm. As long as you're only itching to go somewhere, you're not itching for some other reason, Tom. We're, we're all good with that. Well, Itching for, itching for all sorts of reasons. So as you can see, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a shirt, a sweater, you know, and, and that would be, you know, you, you get a ga- gauge how, what it's like over here for our summer. But anyway, yes. not that one. Sounds wonderful. But I, I mentioned that the Hamptons connection with you because I know that your, I think it's your great grandmother. Didn't she move a house that she had built in the Hamptons to England, to Sandwich, where they, she built, she was sort of... No. No, she copied the style, the Hamptons. That's sort of copied that, that, the style, that. that's what it was. She copied the style, but it's a Hamptons house in Sandwich in England. That was So that, when I was a child, I, Tom and I used to spend time together as kids and I'd summer at his parents' house on the beach too. And, and my kids even have been there when, we, when they were younger. Um, but it is a Hamptons house. And that was the very first time I'd even heard of the Hamptons. So I've um, always got a very fond memory of your folks' old home on the beach. Yeah, lots, lots of weird South-facing, south wonderful garden, everything south-facing, right next to the sea. But, you know, in England, so, um, so you know... Everything other than the weather. Other than the weather. So, you know, um, you know it had... And, and, and in the front of it, it had this wonderful kind of porch area cut into the sort of front of the house where this little terracy bit, which was, did actually have big glass, a big glass wall around it projecting out of the front of the house for, for that reason, just, just to keep that English breeze off. So you could actually, if the sun did come out, you could, you could light, it's like a sun trap, um, but it would keep that, keep that infernal cold wind away. I have very fond memories. And it, this, the funny thing about you know, what we do with the Shaken and Stirred show, in many ways, it started in Sandwich, which is the name of the house, with the name, what, what we called the house, because it probably had its own name, but we, we always called it Sandwich as the, as the area. But you had a man who worked there called Snowy. And yeah. Snowy was a man who, he, actually, just the way it sounds, he, he was sort of white-haired old man, but obviously when he was younger, he wasn't. But um, he used to serve us drinks. He was a, he used to, it was a, it made an incredible, I remember, everything from a Bloody Mary to great cocktails and what have you. And at, at cocktail hour, we'd go to your house and he would be there making drinks. And it was sort of that, the, the, the very dawn of our earliest shaken and stirred moments in a way. Yeah. Snowy the butler, who sadly passed away two, two, couple, two or three years ago now. He was my, he worked for my great grandmother when he was a kid. They say he always had a connection with the family and he kind of, and he, um, well, my, my great grandmother used to go to this house in the Hamptons, which could sleep about 26 people. And she, she used to call it her summer cottage, which I think is also another kind of phrase that's taken out from, 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 from America. It is. She take a sort of skeleton staff of about 15 people. And he was a he was one of the, one of the locals down there who was who was a kind of footman and then he became became a butler and um and that was it that was why we 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 started nicknaming you know whenever we want to drink in each other's houses um we we, we assumed the role of Snowy so Tom is known as Snowy A and I'm as, I'm known as Snowy B and these are the nicknames we've given each other and we have another friend called Snowy D whose who's Dawson is his last name and uh, so yeah it, it literally comes full circle. Well listen Tom what are you drinking right now? What would Snowy have made for you? Hopefully he's made you something Snowy, well, well I have my own yeah I have had my drink made for me as 
quite rightly, uh, quite rightly predicted by um, Mel. She's making a summer fruit. It's, it's, it's sort of twist on a bellini, um, using fruit from the garden, some, some raspberries, and basically it's champagne with with just crushed up fruit, blackcurrants, and um, strawberries, blackcurrants, and raspberries. Delicious, absolutely yeah. delicious. Well, I, my friend here in the Hamptons has made me something that he calls a ginger Rogers. Check yeah. that out. Um, it, it, he gave me, he wrote, I've got the whole write down of what it's what it's made of: mint leaves, ginger syrup, which is a stuff, a simple syrup that he made himself with ginger. And I've made that before. It's kind of fun, not too hard to do. You basically steep the ginger in the in the boiling um, simple syrup, and then when it cools down it, after about half an hour, it infuses the ginger out of it. So it's got a great ginger flavour. London dry gin, two ounces of it, lemon juice freshly squeezed, and then ginger ale and uh, a mint sprig. And it, basically, you uh, mull the mint leaves and the ginger syrup, and then you pour in, you know, and then you add the gin and the lemon juice and the ice. And super simple, very delicious. Smells fantastic. Cheers, my man. Cheers. It sounds like an unfinished drink. Cheers. I know. It sounds right? like, as, as a redhead, as, as a ginger, it sounds like it's slightly unfinished. Ginger Rogers what? I know. Well, exactly. It's funny. You think Ginger Rogers, you think of the actress, don't you? Um, I don't think it has anything to no, do with it. I think with Ginger Rogers, I think it's something quite different. <laughs> wow. You know what? And I hadn't even thought of that. Oh, you know, I, I tried to keep it a clean show. I don't ever... You know, never Roger the Ginger. So I would not know <laughs> about gingering Rogers or Ginger Roger. Anyway, you're taking this down a complete rabbit hole as usual. Um, I think before we get to our fantastic guest, who I've known for years, booze news, people, booze news. You, you know, we've had all kinds of funny booze news on this on the Shaking the Stirred show. And there's something about fast food chains and booze that I find hilarious and I bring it up on booze news quite regularly because it's it always seems like the two don't go together but you know you may be familiar many of you that Dunkin Donuts has had a relationship with Harpoon uh, beer and they're doing it again they're introducing new beers uh, new Dunkin Donut beers flavored after you know I think they have one which is a maple cream blonde ale they have a midnight American porter which is uses their coffee They've got a pumpkin spice latte ale, you know, so they're all named after the various things you can get at Dunkin' Donuts on a regular basis, but it's beer. So you're going in and having your donuts with beer and they're also making, which is not such a surprise, a donut with beer, which I've heard of beer battered things. So I'm, that doesn't, that's not so shocking. But along with this news, IHOP, the pancake people, have decided to also serve alcohol. Right. I guess, you know, pancakes and alcohol. I, I mean, it's not such a shocker that you might have a mimosa or a glass of champagne with your breakfast, I guess is the point. It just seems so extraordinary that at an IHOP you would have a glass of champagne. Um, but they've done a survey and it turns out that over 60 percent of the adult um, customers would like some alcohol with their breakfast. So IHOP, the breakfast shop, is because <laughs> serving alcohol as of now. Shocking. I, I sort of say, I mean, the only alcohol and pancakes I can think of really when you've got a flan, you know, in France, when they flambe, you know, what are they called? You know, when you yes, flambe. That's right, the, the flaming crepe Suzette. Crepe Suzette, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. Well, you know, why settle for a morning coffee when you can enjoy a coffee-inspired beer? That's all I can say. Or a glass of champagne with your pancake. Our guest today is an actress, dancer, singer, entrepreneur, philanthropist, this goes on and on, well known for her role in High School Musical, which she probably is very bored of hearing at this point, but it comes up everywhere. Uh, I've just had a stint on Dancing with the Stars, Tom. Hey. I, the next dance is mine, I'm afraid. Um, I know her personally for her work with the UN Foundation's Girl Up initiative. Please welcome the delightful and brilliant Monique Coleman. Monique, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. This is so oh, exciting. No, it's been, you know, it's a long time coming. You know, we have tried to organize photo shoots, get together, dinner. Yeah. I have invited you to event things I've had. Doesn't It's not easy in this world to do anything, it seems. And, and finally, now I've got you on the podcast, which is so, so fun. What are you drinking? Uh, today I have a kombucha. So uh -huh. I'm really, yeah, my little, it's a strawberry acai coconut. I'm uh, hailing from Hawaii, so that felt very appropriate to have a little tropical type drink. But I actually really love kombucha because it's good for like gut health and things like that. So 
Amazing. So we've got Hawaii, we've got yes. New York, and we've got mm -hmm. Oxford, England on this right now. Oh my and goodness. So we have major time zone differences here. This isn't your LA, New York, even London thing. We've got Hawaii. <laughs> so what time is it for you right now? It's 11 a.m. 11 a.m. <laughs> as far as Tom and I are concerned, that's cocktail hour. Sure. So <laughs> if I had some champagne, I definitely would be doing a little little shaking and stirring. Love the fact you're drinking a kombucha in what looks like a champagne glass. Yeah, oh, for sure. I was like, I'm gonna at least be festive. <laughs> anyway, full diva on the kombucha, which is fantastic, everyone. There you go. This is how Monique Coleman does it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's get into it. You know, I've known you for, for a minute now, you know, and I've always known you to be an incredibly kind, generous mm. and very deep person. And I, I kind of, wanted to sort of take it back to you, you as a child growing up and just to kind of get into what that might have been like for you and because I'm always interested we're always interested in what how a person is almost created how they be, how they come into the come into being who they are and what journey that was like to some extent so perhaps there are some learnings there and would love to sort of start with that I mean I know you're from what is it South Carolina is that correct yes yeah I love back. that yeah I love that so, you know as you were speaking a lot of kind of thoughts swirled through my mind because really it's about our identity, like who am I? And the first thing that came to my mind was that I was a lonely kid. Mm. I was a very lonely kid and I lived in my imagination a lot. I'm an only child. I was raised by a single mother and my experience was very much that I um, just struggled with kind of things that are very common, like self-esteem and things like that. But the second thought that came to mind was that I was hit by a car as well as a child. Wow. And so those two things are really interesting that I grew up like with this awareness of my mortality, I guess, because, you know, being so young, I was between five and six years old and I was in New York and it was kind of a freak incident where a car just spun out of control and came onto the sidewalk. So it wasn't like I ran out into the street or something and I, I remember it, you know, not vividly, but I, I do remember the experience and I was walking home with my cousin and it's interesting because I didn't think that that shaped me right. and I actually didn't really tell many people about it. Like as I got older, I didn't tell people, but I had the repercussions of that. Uh, I have a, just scars on my leg. And when I was actually on Dancing with the Stars, there was a day where we were in rehearsal and my partner touched me there and I like flipped out on him. And I basically was like, oh no, I don't like, you can't, no one could touch me there for about 20 years. This happened when I was a kid. So until I was in my mid to late twenties, no one could ever touch me there. And it's because I had stored the trauma in my body. So even though I wasn't, it wasn't something that I consciously wanted to lead with because I never wanted people to feel sorry for me. As a low black girl from South Carolina, I was like, I am strong, I'm independent. Like you, like nothing has held me back, held me down or held me back. But what I didn't ever realize was that it also in a way shaped my fighter spirit and propelled me forward. And in some ways, all of the fighting that I do and all of the kind of appreciation that I have for the human body is connected to my own human spirit that had to fight for my body because I had to relearn how to walk, you know, at a very young age. So that's kind of what I think of is I spent a lot of time in a hospital alone, isolated. My, my first uh, experience with school was actually over the telephone because this was, you know, in the 80s. So there was no, it, there wasn't this option of being on a video chat. And a lot of my person has been, or my adulthood has really been merging what is in my head with what is actually happening in reality and making that the same thing. And I feel like finally at 40, I do feel like an integrated person who can look at my experiences as a child and own and accept all of them and realize that that's essentially the source of my empathy. It's the source of my compassion. It's the root of my fight. And the experiences that I have had are valuable because there might be someone else who at some point needs to fight for themselves. And it's important that I don't withhold those kind of intimate parts of me, specifically as a child, because they're really impactful. You know, it's such an amazing story. And I did not know that. And it's, 
it strikes me because I, I myself was also in a car accident when I was a kid, not as bad as yours, it sounds, but it, 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 it's something I've never forgotten. I was crossing the road. I was about the same age as you, six or seven. And it, I remember the car, it was a Mercedes and the, it, it just hit me straight in the face. I was about the top, as high, as tall as the top of the car, as the body, you know, the actual face of the car. And it, it wow. struck me in the face and knocked all my teeth out. So I had no teeth as a kid for many years um, until they grew up. my baby teeth, so it didn't matter too much. But but it was terrifying. And I my parents, I remember being told off by my parents because I had sort of done what kids do and darted across the street without looking. And, sure. and, and it basically, it was, thank God, the guy wasn't going too fast and had put his brakes on. But but I, it was a combination of being told off by my, by my parents as well as being hit by a car. So I was sort of double in trouble for something that was <laughs> up. But I've never, you know, you don't really talk about it too often. You don't really bring these things up. But what you just said, you know, it, it really helped you to sort of discuss it and even release it in a way. Did you have to have therapy to get there? Or what, what got you there? I probably should have had therapy, but I didn't. I didn't have therapy. I, I had art. Art right. was my therapy. Yeah, art, art is the place that I, you know, without going too much into it, uh, I did struggle in terms of like my mom and I, our, our relationship, we were very close, but it was also at times very difficult and mainly uh, financially, you know, we just couldn't afford certain things. And also at that time, I don't know that that is something that like an African-American family just would have turned to like oh this is what you need there was a little bit more of a tough love you can do this you got this kind of attitude um but it wasn't until like a few years ago that I was like oh yeah that probably that probably is something that would have it that would have been really helpful is to be able to talk about that but you know we didn't have those kinds of resources so I would just I I was really strong and I my spirit was really big and so at maybe like third or fourth grade I had a teacher third grade actually my teacher Miss Tanya Jones she pulled my mother aside and basically said listen your daughter uh can't stop talking in class but uh it's I don't think it's because she's bad I really think she needs an outlet and we immediately started taking piano lessons and dance classes and things like that and to the people who are listening, you might think to yourself, well, that's really expensive. Uh, but my mother also taught me that money should never hold you back from whatever you want to pursue. And so I was always on scholarships. We always found a way for me to do the things that lit me up to find free programs, uh, to do to be able to participate in the same activities as other kids or to do the things that would help me thrive and flourish regardless of how expensive they were. And dancing was one of them. And I remember I would be in dance class and sometimes I would flex my leg or I would do things and I would run out of the room crying and I would just, you know, and, and I think that that was in a way like that cathartic release. And then I'd come back and pick it right back up and, and keep going. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the resilience. Uh, I also, though, do feel sad for that little girl sometimes as well, that I didn't get to just feel the pain for what it was and that I constantly had the sense that my pain wasn't valid and I just needed to kind of get over it. I think, I mean, it's probably very common, though, that 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 process. I mean, I think that very was, much so. you know, I mean, it's it's similar to mine. I mean, I kind of hit it and then I thought I had done something wrong and I was bad and I'd done something. Yeah. You know, so mustn't talk about it because it would bring up the fact that I had been bad and that's why I was hurt. So there's no, never talk about it. And you know, there's just so many times. I mean, my wife was hit by a car and, and she rarely talks about it because oftentimes when you're hit by a car, it seems specifically that kind of accident is is such a unusual trauma. You know, yeah. you're, and it's so dramatic and it could have been life, you know, it could have ended your life, you know, yes. had a car been going a couple of miles an hour faster, hit you in a slightly different way or anything. But anyway, it's, it's a it's an interesting thing. I guess you, know, you, you kind of answered my next question a little bit when you started when you started to explain how you're probably people who are listening thought, well, that's expensive and that's all the rest of it, because I was sort of going down that way too, thinking to myself that someone who does come from a poorer background, you know, making the decision to become an actress or an artist even is a leap. Right. You know, it's like, get a real job, you know, so right. there's, there's that, you know, right. like, and, 
no, so please, so explain how that happened, how you how you got to do that. And I get it, your mother was, you know, able, you know, enabled you to to get out there and do that. Or did she? I, maybe I'm putting words. No, in she absolutely did. You know, it was undeniable. I, you know, when you see those kids and you're just like, you are a performer through and through. There's just nothing else for you to do on the planet. That was me. So before the accident and even after, I was always putting on performances in the living room. I was that kid that was singing singing songs. I remember um, Whitney Houston, I believe the children are our future. <laughs> like that. that was my favorite song. As Well, that and I'm coming up, coming up, Lord. Like I was this like deep soul that loved like soul and gospel and Whitney. And I would come out and I would just do performances and I would do performances in school about absolutely nothing. I, you know, my teachers, it was, and that's what was so beautiful about my teacher was that she did direct that energy because other teachers were just like, she needs to stop. Like I'm in science class and we're trying to learn the periodic table. And I'm like standing on the radiator, just being like, well, actually it's like, you, you don't know what you're talking about, sweetheart. Um, but it was, it was definitely something that was obviously my destiny and my mother just, I, you know, and if I really, really pull back and, and allow myself to be slightly vulnerable, which I always am, <laughs> but uh, on my mother's behalf, I also think that part of it was in a way she was giving me things that she didn't have. And I can't speak for her, but on it, I do believe that that is part of it, is that there were certain limitations that, you know, she was one of five. There were certain limitations that she had in her life that she didn't want to me to inherit from her. And so she always prioritized purpose. She told me at a very young age, you matter. You have a purpose. You have a purpose and you're going to find that purpose. And she made me feel, even when I didn't believe it, which I mostly didn't. And sometimes like still struggle because just, I don't know why I was just kind of built this way. And, and my, my goal is to, to let this go. Like, you know, as I've been trying to let it go for years and, and then it kind of creeps back up is this sort of issue with esteem because no matter how much she told me that I could do it and I was great I still you know kind of struggled with that but through the actual doing doing plays doing theater um dancing it just it was almost like it was it was it was like what therapy would do it helped mellow me out it helped me stay grounded it helped me stay hopeful and it was the place where I felt the most alive. Also, and this is, you know, speaks to the time, emotions weren't really allowed in my house. Like feelings, you know, there, there, there were only like a handful of feelings that you were allowed to feel. And anger, deep, deep sadness, those were not safe things to feel. And so acting was a place where I could be someone that I, wasn't able to be in my day-to-day -day life. And once it was kind of evident that there was a gift there, there was nothing that we were gonna do to keep me from doing that because it was just like obvious. You know, it's, it's, I find it so fascinating with the, I mean, I, I've met people, for example, who have suffered from things like multiple personalities and it's often through trauma, right? Where they, and they then hide it with other personalities that that that, that personality went through that trauma. Yeah, and it wasn't mm -hmm. me they did right so they develop yes. they develop multiple personalities each personality deals with a different thing in one's life and i was just when you started to talk about obviously having the opportunity to act and perform and therefore perhaps being able to perform a character that is angry or perhaps you know performing a character yes. who is deeply depressed but it's a performance so you can get into the role it's almost in itself like we were talking about the sort of the therapeutic aspect of it do, do you I mean you know can acting be a for form of art therapy, I guess, you know, for argument's sake? The answer is, I believe, yes, but I don't know that it should be. Right. Why? Yeah. That's interesting. Why? Yeah, I think that, you know, for a long time, I would say that it wasn't what I did. It's who I am. And I think that there's something dangerous about that. I think that, that it is important as individuals that we do learn to own our own story. Because when you own your story, you can own the consequences and you can own the triumphs as well. And I feel as though in some instances, I haven't allowed myself to fully feel either. Because if you don't allow yourself to feel and, and experience the negative parts of life, the, the, the things that you don't 
that that weren't pretty, then you also don't necessarily get to feel feel the full breadth of the joy that's actually available to you. And you kind of live in this in-between neutral space where the exterior world is more of your uh, measuring stick for who you are than who you actually are. And so, yes, I do think that it's a, it's a great place to start and it's a great place to put things. Also something my husband said along, like kind of early in our relationship, uh, is he looked at me one day and this is, and he's a delicious man. So, you know, and I hope it comes out the way that he meant it. Cause it offended me at first, <laughs> but he said, oh, you need an audience. And I was like, I'm not. and he was like, what I mean by that is you have more to give than one person can receive. I can't be everything and all things for you. You, your, your being is so big that you need an audience. And when I really like got over, like being like, what do you mean you can't be my everything? <laughs> that has changed my life because I do need an audience because there's, there's 12 books in me. There's so many characters and there's so much that I've personally been through and there's things that have happened that I don't believe were just for me. I do believe that they are bigger than me and that they, are, they were for humanity. And as artists, we kind of open ourselves up, we make ourselves this vessel to allow these things to come through us, which is why I think that the therapy is important, separate of the art, is because when you mix the two up, then it kind of reconfigures your own being versus allowing these things to come to you and then come through you. Then we all can, can realize the ways that we are connected and we're not stuck. Cause I think, you know, it's a, it's a great place to hide. And when you hide, that becomes shame. Art brings light to our dark places. And once you bring, apply light to it, then there's nothing there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. That's what healing really is. And I'm at this point in my life, I'm no longer in the business of hiding. I'm in the business of healing and healing comes through allowing and fully processing something, not as a character, but as a human being. And then looking at my life and thinking, I kind of reverse it and look at how I approach a character helps me approach my own life and look at what are my own tragic flaws? What is my objective in this moment? What am I going for? And how am I projecting things onto the people around me to make me something instead of just, you know, owning, like just kind of owning my own shit, really. It's such a unique perspective on everything. I mean, I feel that, you know, I'm curious with you because you've, you, you always, I mean, I've literally watched some interviews of you from years ago and you even, I don't know how long ago it's been since you know high school musical and all that kind of stuff but you were saying incredibly profound deep things straight out of the out of the gate and your some of your earliest interviews that i read you would stop and you would immediately kind of change the conversation towards helping people and using the platform that you had to making it make the world a better place and this was your mission pretty much from a very early on and that's unusual people don't have that kind of empathy or you know compassion mm -hmm. for humanity as in that, I think, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but my experience has been, unfortunately, mostly the reverse. People tend to be quite self-centered and, and, you know, although there's kindness and goodness everywhere, there is also just a lot of people who look out for the number one first and foremost. And it's, you know, mm. it's, where did that come from for, with you? I mean, obviously you have your life and your experiences, but I'm just curious as to if there's any, was there a pivotal moment or was there something that made you think, I need to actually go out there and, and make a difference. I wish that I knew because I've, I was that kid, you know, speaking of childhood, I was that kid that people always said was wise beyond my years. Where did you get this from? And for me, it is my faith, but I don't mean that in a religious context. It's, it's so much more than that. It's, coming into the world as a seeker. I think I came in um, in this, just this desire to understand and, and to seek. One memory that comes to mind though, was the first time I ever heard Martin Luther King Jr. speak 
and I'm sure that we were probably in third or fourth grade and learning, you know, it was Black History Month or something. And I heard him speak and I remember thinking, I was mad <laughs> because I thought this man said all the best things a person could ever say. What is the point of living? <laughs> I literally was like, you can't top that. You cannot top his existence. Like, I could just die. Like, what is my point? But I think that there's something to that because I tell young people all the time, what you see in others is also in you. I didn't know that then, but I didn't realize that by looking at someone like Martin Luther King Jr. and feeling like this, like irritation, like obviously <laughs> awe and esteem, but then like this deep irritation as well, because I <laughs> felt like I had been robbed of my future <laughs> says a lot at like eight. I'm like, oh my God, like, what am I even going to say? Like, I'm never going to write an amazing speech. I'm never going to be able to say anything that impacts as many people as he impacted. It's obvious to me that like, oh, that was kind of this awakening that there was that desire, that there was that deep desire to, to speak to people. I value words so much. I've, you know, of the things I've wanted to be, I, if I wasn't an actor, I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. I also, you know, thought I could be a psychologist, absolutely not, uh, a lawyer, but mainly because I wanted to do opening and closing speeches, but also a speech pathologist. I love words. I love language. I love, I love the ability, and not that that's what a speech pathologist does, but just, just, just speaking. That's something that was just very profound to me. So yeah, I think it's just, it, it's how I was wired and it was how, it's how I was wired, but then also how I was nurtured. That part of me was nurtured and cultivated. My mother really did an amazing job of protecting that part and making sure that I, even when I doubted myself, even when I didn't feel like what I said mattered. Uh, and also, I just want to say thank you, Nigel, too, because that means a lot to me. You know, I, I have spoken so many places and, and um, when I was younger, it made me nerdy and that being nerdy was not cool. It made me feel like I didn't fit in. And I was the kid that, you know, everyone else is like giving each other Valentine's and I'm like, I'm going to write you a whole poem. And then they would be like, you know, you're so weird. And it's only now that I think I've kind of caught up to who I've always been and stopped uh, being afraid of that, but knowing that that's truly my, my greatest strength. And it's just kind of what my mission has always been. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I heard you say something very interesting, which I totally agree with, actually. And it's, it's just common sense in, in a way, but it's not something which is, is really spoken that much, which is you, you were talking about giving advice to people who perhaps feel inadequate or, you know, feel down or feel weak or feel depressed. Or, and, and your advice was, if I'm, if I'm quoting you correctly, was that for people to go to, to, to basically give back in order mm -hmm. to in order to receive it was yes go out there and find a charity an organization that you can donate your time to volunteer and that you and I you believe you said that would give you the re the, the, the sort of the right almost to stand up tall and to and you've done something good you, you have a reason for looking yourself in the mirror I mean, it was something about yeah. removing mirrors in your life or something else Another, oh yes 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 I, yes i remember this interview you did and i it just stuck with me because i'm like that's exactly right i mean it's a i'd love for you to go into that a little bit it's yeah a very it's I don't remember where I was or what that was, but I do specifically remember talking about getting out of the mirror and getting right. into service specifically. And it's because, especially when you're young, you spend so much time, your body's changing. Like it's, it's not, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, by the way, it's very normal and natural. I think what's wrong is that we don't talk about it and normalize it. But as a young person, you are evolving. And so you're watching yourself change in every stage of your life. Excuse me, it's not even being young. I can only, I just turned 40 and I look in the mirror sometimes and I'm like, is that another gray? Oh my God. You know, so we're constantly seeing ourselves and redefining ourselves. Um, but we, I think it's important to get out of, yes, you should be the center of your own life in a sense, but at the same time, realizing that the things that you're struggling with sometimes the fastest way to, to separate yourself from them is to 
direct your attention elsewhere and to direct your attention to being of service because when you are of service, you recognize that you are of value. Mm -hmm. That no matter what you have, you do have something to give. You, even if all that you can give is your presence, your presence has value. Look at the times that we are living in. And I'm sure, you know, we don't want to talk about it and, and continue to, I mean, it's everywhere. We can't, you know, turn on the television or listen to anything without seeing it. But, you know, it's really right now is a time for us to really understand that just being in the presence of another person, that that the value that that has in for our elderly, the value that that has, you know, coming out of isolation, we really, I think, all kind of got this moment of really seeing uh, how fragile we all are and how fragile this whole thing is. And to think that you don't have something of value, the easiest way to to recognize that that is not true is to be in the face of someone who needs you that day. Uh, and then I do find that it is cyclical. It gives back to you. And it's not that you give to receive, you know, but everything that we do in some ways does come back and impact us. And I think, you know, looking at what you can do for others and what you can do to, to just make someone else smile, to, you know, bring, bring some kindness, bring some joy, bring some prosperity. You can't uh, stay in like a, ugly, darker, negative place when, when you're doing that. It's just that, that reminder that, you know, we're all a part of something that we didn't create ourselves. And so uh, our pain, our problems, our, the stuff that we go through, we sometimes get stuck in them because we don't know that we're not supposed to like sit in our corner. It's what connects us. Very weird. Like, I don't mean this again, also in a religious way, but I say that God lives in the gap. And what I mean by that is that sometimes you actually need to create the space for the connection to happen. Our world crumbled and now the coral reef is coming back. <laughs> You're like, like things have happened so that we could be connected through our grief, through our stories, through our car accidents, through our experiences, we then get to be connected to one another. We have this perception like we're supposed to just, everything's supposed to be great. And then we're just supposed to like be great together. And then when, when, it's all, when it's not all great, then something's actually wrong. That's not necessarily true. It's when it's not great that you get to step up. It's when it's not great that you get to find out or go in, go inward and, and, and see what you're made of and who you actually are. Everything being great all the time I don't think really should be the goal anymore. It's that when it isn't great, we have the tools, we have the resources, we have the community, we have the outlets to be able to reconnect to one another because this is about our human experience. We are here to experience life, to experience one another, to elevate this planet and hopefully leave it a little bit better than when we came. But if there's no problems and there's no solutions, and if there's no solutions, then you know, yeah, we can all sit on an island together and that would be awesome if that's what the world was going to look like, but that's not what it actually is. So I look at pain and, and, and these things very differently and say, no, get out of the mirror, get out of your own head, get out of your own experience and get first, get into your body, <laughs> you know, get, get in your body and out of your, get out of your head in your body and then get your body out into the world. You I've never said that before, but that's, I love that is that. how I feel. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you, you literally, you could give uh, Martin Luther King a run for his money, by the way. You, you, you are brilliant. I started at the very beginning saying how brilliant you are. And this is why, people, this is mm. Monique Coleman at her best. She, you just speak so eloquently. and You, you cut straight through it. And I think that's, it's, so, it's so refreshing and so important. It's not easy to uh, just to verbalize the way you do. And you do it in such an incredibly clear way. So I just well, appreciate so or money, the concept of getting out of your head into your body is very difficult for Nigel as well, because he spends quite a lot of time in his body, like looking at that side of it. You know, he, has, he needs to get out of that back into his head, actually. It works both ways. Trying to go the other way, right? Trying yeah. to get back in my head out of this body. Yeah, you know, absolutely. <laughs> we all have our problems, Tom. You know, <laughs> do. So, shaken and stirrers, have you ever had a drink or more? and woken up with a headache, feeling foggy, 
or with an upset stomach, well, guess what? It's alcohol metabolism that's the key, not dehydration. So enzymes in the liver actually metabolize alcohol, turning it from toxin to a harmless substance. And unfortunately, as we mature, we make fewer of these enzymes, slowing our metabolism. However, by promoting the enzymes that power alcohol metabolism, we can actually neutralize more toxins. And wait for it. H-Proof is here to help. The Anytime You Drink vitamin is your new favorite nightcap. These chewable vitamins support alcohol metabolism and help keep your liver happy. Simply take two after your last drink for a lighter, brighter morning. H-Proof is offering our listeners 20% off their first order with code NIGEL, that's N-I-G-E-L, at h-proof.com for 20% off your first order. Cheers tonight, crush tomorrow. You, you, you also do a lot of mentoring. And, and I, I know that one of our, our friends, mutual friends, Dominic Fishback, an actress who's become incredibly successful, who I first met actually through Girl Up at the United Nations when she was performing with Girl Be Heard, a sort of a spoken word group that, that, that talks about racial injustice and gender equality and, and all those sorts of things. And she was incredible. And I had gone straight up to her afterwards and sort of just said, hi, I'd like to meet you. And she was literally just a young girl at the time. And, you know, and I said, can I photograph you? And I, I, I've always been someone who, if I meet someone who's just, I think, brilliant or interesting or fascinating, I want to sort of, you know, have them in my life in some way. So I don't, I, I never hesitate to just go up and say, hi can I meet you can I know you um mm. and um and she's been a friend ever since and she's in your life too you've been helping mentor her and uh, you know what is that experience like I mean you know obviously with your own background and you know growing up as just a, a single child in a, in a one-parent family is that was it very important for you to, to realize that you, you know people need people if you need help you need someone that there for you <sighs> Wow. I promise you, Nigel, this is the first time that I've ever connected those two things as a single thought. Yes. The answer is yes. I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't aware that that's what I was doing, but that is exactly what it is. There's a, a, a phrase, I have no idea where it comes from. I really should look it up, but it says, we teach what we most need to learn. Mm. We give what we most need, right? So I didn't even consider the fact that knowing that we need each other deeply, especially as an only, I, you know, I saw that manifest in my ability to become fast friends with people and to have family everywhere. I really can't go anywhere and not have a tribe. I, I now am developing my true kind of nucleus of what that looks like. But prior to that, you know, I was just adopted by everybody. You know, I'm just like this, this person who goes around and I've got my, and vastly different people. I'm, I'm talking from uh, Crown Heights, Brooklyn, you know, my Jewish family over there to uh, like an ashram that I've been to. I'm, I'm, it, the, it's so varied because I never felt, I, um, I never felt that my identity was connected to my siblings. I, I noticed that a lot with people that they are very, uh, I'm the middle child. I'm the only child. I'm the this, whatever. And, and for me, it was just like, I just exist in this world as myself and I go where I want and I do what I can. And, uh, but now as that I'm older, I, I didn't realize that it has manifested in making sure that the next generation doesn't fall into some of the same pitfalls that I did, that I only did because I wasn't allowed. And I don't mean by any specific person. I just mean, I hadn't permissioned myself. And I realized that sometimes we need someone to permission us to feel something completely. So when I was in high school musical, I was by the end of it, the loneliest, the most, the furthest from my center that I had been since before I ever started. It was that finally everything that I'd ever wanted was here and it didn't make me like myself. It didn't make my problems go away. 
I still didn't have a boyfriend. I still like, like things didn't just magically appear. My relationship with my father hadn't just, wasn't just naturally healed. My, the tension or relationship with my mother wasn't just naturally perfect. Things were exactly the same, if not in a way worse, because now there was all this confusion. How can I spend my whole life dedicated to something? How can I put every fiber of my being into being the best version of myself as I, as I saw it at that time, which was through the lens of accolades, which is not a, a proper lens, but it just is what it is. And I think a lot of people relate to that, thinking that if I have this, if I do that, if I achieve this, that that's going to mean that I matter. Experiencing that and not being able to tell anybody that I'm crying under the stage, not, tell, not being able to let anybody know the loneliness that it was to be on tour, to not know how to manage my own money, to not know any of these things. I think inherently I did it. it I didn't know that this was the case, but it did become my mission to help girls like Dominique Fishback. Another one of my dear friends is Alexis Wren, who's, mm. a, a, you know, Alexis. Yeah, she's a stunning model. Uh, Allison Stoner, you know, and it's funny because I we're, we're all like 10, between 10 and 15 years apart, but I make sure that they have a safe space to say what they're really thinking and feeling that maybe the average person might look and think you're sitting in a seat of such privilege. How could you possibly have a problem? How could you possibly, because everyone thinks that money's going to solve everything. Everyone thinks that, you know, having uh, a claim or fame or success is going to solve your problems. And I know firsthand that it doesn't. And it has been difficult at times because, you know, obviously I'm a human. And so the ego gets involved and I'm looking and, you know, Dom, Dom's been calling me for years, you know, every time she was would leave an agent, every time she would, um, be uh, in, in a situation where she was standing up for herself or someone was making her feel as though she was being too much, I was able to talk her through experiences that I didn't have anybody to talk me through. I was able to be brave through her experience by holding space and not getting involved, but looking and going, yeah, you do deserve that. And then now what's so gorgeous is that it's almost like it's reverse mentorship and it's going the other way. And I'm looking at her star rise and I'm seeing that she's going to be the face, you know, the, the, she's the new girl in the Transformers yeah. franchise. And to know that growing up, I never would have thought that that would have even been possible at all. So to now see that you can plant a seed somewhere and then that seed can grow into something so beautiful. And then that, that thing that it grows into can feed you back. It's so remarkable. I, I can't even describe what it feels like. It's like, I see these young people and their success is my success. And I had one of them say to me recently, Mo, I'm so sorry for, because you know, the last 10 years I've kind of not been around. I, I've, you've seen me, the people that, that, that know me and love me have seen me, but I haven't really been seen in a way that's as visible or prominent as some others in, a, in, in that kind of tangible, in that sort of way. But at the same time, uh, I had someone say, you know, you didn't have time to waste on someone's set because the seeds that you needed to plant and the people that you needed to nurture uh, were going to do so much that 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 was your position at that time. And that has been your position. And so it feels really beautiful to see that the people that I have poured into and that I have had private conversations with and let cry on my shoulder and cried on their shoulders that now we are all in this place where it's almost as if no time has passed. And I no longer look at this space in my career as a gap that everybody else around me is doing something and being so successful at the art of it. Obviously in terms of leadership and advocacy and all of that, I've never stopped. But in terms of being an artist, I'm now seeing that the ways that I've kind of nurtured and, and mentored other people to fight for their position in this industry has now come full circle because in a way now we're just friends and, and I'm not needed in the same way. And I'm left with myself in such a gorgeous way to now go, you know what? I'm going to dust off some of my dormant dreams. I'm going to tell myself some of the things that I've said to other people mm. over these years. And I'm going to be the, this bright 
I'm going to let myself be all the things that I've given a container for. I've, I've let, I've taken my, it's, it's the same as the acting. I've taken my inner being and I've given it to these other places for it to flourish. And now where I am in my life is I'm going and I'm collecting those pieces I'm collecting that fruit. I'm allowing the places that have poured into me that I've poured into to pour back into me and for us to all be able to do it together. Goodness me. What a, what a beautiful thing to say. And it, it's, you know, it's funny when I hear what you say, you know, I, I've got children and I, you sound like a parent, you know, you, you sound mm. very parental and, you know, just, and obviously you're, you know, you, you pour into your children and they grow up and they hopefully succeed and, and they flourish. Uh, and, and, and actually we often know with a lot of parents, I feel too, they feel that that moment too, when they leave home in a way, and do their thing that then it's time to look back at yourself and, and 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 care for yourself and it's such an important thing and just literally what you just said there was was that journey um but with mm. people not necessarily your own direct kin but it doesn't matter we're all family and i think that's a, a very special thing that you're doing you know and that, that's how i've seen it when i've watched you and I, and I see how you are and i see how you are with people and the incredible intensity in which you gaze at them and look at them and talk to them which is in you know is of someone where you love them and and that is that's very special and unique and it's not easy to do that unless you really truly love yourself in the right way too so you can't do that successfully you know without loving yourself and i think that's something which we don't mm. it's very hard to to explain to people um and it's something we all and it's a constant struggle i would i would imagine too right to to remind yourself to love yourself and you know yes you know, and that's, you kind of alluded to that too, where, you know, you need to turn it back on yourself too and give to yes. yourself, not constantly be offering, you know, you have to, it has to go both ways. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm just, there's, there's so much to you and there's so many different things. We haven't even talked about any of your acting career, any of that kind of stuff, what you've got going on. I know you've got a new children's book coming out. I'd love to hear a little bit about that, you know, but, you know, I guess before we kind of get there to, you know, you've, you've obviously worked in philanthropy and all these great organizations, and, and it's not just Girl Up. I know you do other stuff too with youth movements and what have you. But you know, I, I, do you see do you see a change? I mean, we I've been to a lot of these, you know, sort of galas for Girl Up and events for Girl Up, and 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 the it often seems that we've taken two steps back half the time, and, and with obviously mm. the past administration and what have you, it felt very much that way you know do you see a, a, a light in the future i mean where, where i'd love to just take your gauge of where you see the world is at right now definitely i have an enormous amount of hope enormous amount of hope we have to i i see that we're never in a way going to every problem that we solve creates new problems and i think it's a tragedy to not recognize that, to not look and say, even the solutions that we are creating for our planet today with divesting from fossil fuels and you know, um, moving into clean energy and electric and so forth, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, there's gonna be some kids somewhere saying, I can't believe they put all this space waste up here. I can't believe that they didn't think about that in advance. What is wrong with you? That is what it is to be alive. That is what it is. We are here, to me, we're here to tend to this beautiful Gaia, this beautiful ball that we're just floating on in space. We're here to tend to her and nurture her and love her and love each other and love ourselves. And I do see progress. I, you know, that progress, the, it's like when you look at younger generations, you kind of get to see where we are and you see Greta and you see Yara and you see these like incredible, Dom, when you met her, for as long as people are, you know, making new people, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to be hopeful for. Um, you know, I think, yes, we, we revert, but we revert in order to see where we actually are so that it isn't a fantasy. You know, it's easy for us to all hold hands and sing Kumbaya and think like, oh, this is wonderful. Everything's great because we can't see it. What happened in our last administration is that it showed us what is actually here and what is unhealed and untapped and needs to be dealt with. We are very, I think a very fear-based society and we're, we're afraid of a lot of things and we're afraid of ourselves and, our, and we are afraid of the truth. But I think for as long as there are new people on this planet, 
for as long as there are people who are relentless about the pursuit of joy, love, compassion, kindness, purpose, we have to be hopeful. I have to be hopeful. Do you know, Monique, it's funny, just on that topic of as long as there are new people, <laughs> you mentioned that, we've actually had multiple experts on Shaken and Stirred show um, who are, and when I say experts, doesn't make them right or correct, it just gives them a field of which they have, they are an expert in, right? But several have mentioned the fact that the only way to save the world, and I'm talking about an expert sort of environmentalist types as well, is that we stop making new people. Oh, that, interesting. Is that, the, yeah. is that the, is that the, the one of the biggest problems we have is overpopulation and i understand that fully <laughs> just curiously as, enough i thought i'd throw that out there because no i love 100%. that and i understand that in in the context of stress on the planet and so forth and then when i say new people i don't mean you got to go you know make babies it's that we are we've been no so negligent with what we have we've been so um that's why to, to pivot, that's why I'm moving my efforts to children. It's not about having children. It's very similar to what you were saying about how this, the life cycle that I was speaking of mentorship was yeah. mirrors being parental. It's that there are two, there are, there are ideas floating around that need bodies to execute them. There are things that are in our atmosphere that we are not activating and implementing and actually doing. And if we did them and we believed them, I do believe that there would be change. So it, this isn't about procreation. This isn't about, you know, uh, you know, populating. It's really more about the fact that I believe that every generation gets better, smarter, and is more equipped to handle what is there. So it's, for me, it's, I guess, more of an issue of education than reproduction. It's about education and going and, and looking at where, what is, the, what is education? What is, who is, edu who is educating? And how are, how is education going to change moving forward uh, with this technological, evolution that we are in the midst of currently and how do we teach nurture facilitate in such a way that allows youth because I really do believe in the power of young people that allows young people to flourish as they grow into being people who are wise and capable of running companies and foundations and actually like putting their stake in the ground in some way. For far too long, we've treated children like children, not in the sense of their innocence. I do not believe in robbing kids of their absolute innocence. And it actually more and more is becoming disturbing and upsetting to me, the weight and the pressure that we're putting on this generation to save the world. So it's a, it's a very delicate balance where I do believe in the power of youth. I do believe in their capacity. I also though believe that we need to not use them as an excuse and as a scapegoat to not do our own work as well. So to really, I think maybe what I really mean is that it's about bridging intergenerational gaps and it's about empowering younger and younger and younger people and not just empowering them in word but also investing in them, investing like financially also in their ideas, helping them create their businesses and do the things that they want to do. Because I think that there's a moment where life just gets really real. We had that moment very early on, but not everybody does. And there comes a time where you're like, oh, now I no longer get to be the dreamer. Now I no longer get to be, to live in my imagination and just be this free spirit. And when that shift happens and you start operating the world from that place, it gets very small and very limited. And I think that children's imagination and young people's passion is what we need to tap into and then combine that with 
our experience, with our access to resources, and use all of that to be able to move forward. But you cannot do that if you look down on young people. You can't do that if you don't, if you think that they're apathetic and you don't believe in them. You have to believe in them. <laughs> you have to actually think that like they really are capable and believe in them. And so much so that you're willing to bet on them. And I'm betting on them. And I will always bet on them forever and ever and ever. Like I came in knowing that I was here for children and for young people. So that's, that is really what I mean. And I do understand these experts saying like, well, we're, we, you know, we kind of, but, but that it's, it's that way with everything, you know, with people, with, with our farming, with, you know, we've just kind of, in a way, I, I actually think it goes back to almost a collective self-esteem. At some point we decided that we needed something outside of ourselves to make ourselves feel like we have value and we got bigger and better and more and taller buildings and more stuff. And we stopped we started covering up the earth instead of like listening to, to, to her and um, listening to one another. The earth could never be a hymn, could it? Hmm? <laughs> I said the earth Mother could never earth. be a hymn. I know. Oh. Mother earth. We love Armenians. We love yeah. Armenians, but no, she's a mama. <laughs> I gotta say, I love it. Whenever you get you, 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 I guess you mimic yourself getting angry or whatever. You put on this hilarious voice. Is that actually how you sound when you get angry, when you're pissed, or when you're mad? That you, that you, that's you. That's your, your what comes out. Because every time you've done it on the show so far, you've gone like, Wah! and you, you go off, and it's like, I'm like, I don't believe that's really how you are when you get mad. Interesting. I anger is not a, a, an emotion that arises often. And I think I try to make light of, or like I, I use humor as a way to diffuse the weight of things. I think that's, I didn't even know I was doing it, but yeah, I do. I think I do. I use humor. I'm a to special soften. way. Every time you would have anything that you, it was like historical reference to when something happened, the conversation was being had, or when your husband was your boyfriend or said something to you and you were upset by it, you, you have the same certain accent that you go straight into this voice and it's of a different time, different place, different moment, uh, a different Monique even, you know, and I'm yeah. like, I, like, oh, I definitely cool. have about 15 different characters in here, just so you do now. We were talking about multiple personalities at the very beginning. <laughs> we we're right back where we started. Look, before we let you go, I would love to talk a little bit about your book too. You have an upcoming kids book. When, when's that coming out? I don't know yet. So if anyone's listening that can help me, <laughs> call me. Um, I, we're, we're just putting it together. I, I wrote it last year. It's called Affirmations Alphabet. And it is using the alphabet to, as um, a guidepost, to impart different ideas to young people. It's got a slightly spiritual undertone because I have a spiritual undertone, but it's really just about giving them uh, the tools to be able to speak life over themselves and their parents the tools to be able to speak life over their children. And what I mean by speak life over is essentially that I believe in the power of words and I think that they matter. And when we say things like, I, you know, I'm awful, like I, like things are like, I'm, I'm bad. Or you tell your child you're bad, or, you know, you're this or that we sometimes internalize these things. And so this is to give a guidepost. I'm amazing. I'm awesome. I'm aligned to my highest good. I'm brave. I'm bold. I'm beautiful. I believe I can do anything I put my mind to. And it continues on from there. And it has some references that are also personal to me. Just as Martin March and Rosa sat, I stand for justice with every step. So yeah, it's just, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Uh, but it's my first children's book and I it just kind of came through me one day. And um, I'm now in the process of kind of trying to figure out, my manager and I are trying to figure out like, okay, so now that we have the book, like what do we do next? So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm assuming not, you have a publisher. Not, not yet. yet. Not I, can, I can probably help you with that. So we should talk later on the publishing. Yes, please. The publishing yeah. friends and, and, and what have you. So we can try and figure that out. But also, um, what, what age group is the book for? It's really for, it's all ages, honestly. I've read it to, to several different people. I mean, I, yeah, it really is for all ages. It's, it's, it's a, it's like, I, I well, because I love children's books, like as an adult. So it's for adult children. Like it's for children. 
but like for the child in also all of us. Because I do think that our child, the child does live in all of us if we allow it to. If we allow it to, right? Absolutely. We all try and maintain that inner child. Well, we, well, we should, you know, it's a yeah. book for the ages. How about that? Um, yes. I love it. I love it. Look, before we let you go, we've got something on the show called Last Orders. Super fun, easy. Uh, although, you know, it, it could be as easy or as hard as you want it to be, right? So um, <laughs> first one, if there was one place or time in history that you could go back to, where would it be and why? I, hmm, for some reason the 20s came to mind and I don't know, I think, and this is so shallow, but I think it's because the, the outfits came to my mind. <laughs> That's a good reason. It's a, it's a damn good reason. Those flapper dresses, see? Yes, I just was like, I was like, where do I want to be? And I was like, I just kind of want to be in a little dress with a microphone with a little flower in my hair. <laughs> you want a shimmy. I get it. Yeah, I want a shimmy. Yeah. Who doesn't want a shimmy? Okay. And I want to be in one of those old cars. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Super sexy and romantic and nostalgic, mm -hmm. all those things. I get it. I love it. I love the music from that era too. Um, if you had to describe yourself as a kitchen utensil, which one would you be and why? <laughs> a kitchen utensil. Mmm. Oh my gosh. I'm not trying to think of what kitchen utensils even are. <laughs> I would be, I'd be maybe one of those little mixer things, like the little... Like a blender of some sort? Yeah. Magimix? <laughs> maybe a Magimix. Never seen anyone give so much thought to this question before. It's I just fantastic. don't even know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I, I, I just, you know what it is, is that I over, I, I, this is why I didn't do well in school. I overthink the question, and then my brain, my mind goes blank, and I'm like, a kitchen? Is that what is a kitchen utensil? I would be, uh, <laughs> I'd be a knife set. There you go, a knife set. People. Cut, yeah, to cut right through it. Slice right through life. Well done. You know, finally, guys, we, we got the, the, the kitchen utensil out of Monique. Okay, in the movie of your life, who would you have play you? I'm going to say Dom. I knew you would. Yeah. And, and just because you love her or because you know that she's just, she'd get right into your character? She'd get right into my character and I'd love to see myself through her eyes. Yeah, well, she's a, a phenomenal choice. And I could have answered that question for you anyway. So um, what gets your goat and what floats your boat? <laughs> what does it mean to get, oh, get your goat. Like, get your goat. Like upset you. Injustice. Injustice of any kind. Yeah. And yeah. floats the boat? Um, love, nature, connection, this. Connecting deeply to people, that floats my boat. There you go, you heard it right here from Monique Coleman. Shaken and Stirred show floats her boat. <laughs> Can't get a better endorsement than that, Tommy boy. Okay, final question. Shaken or stirred? Shaken. <laughs> She's shaking it, people. We're gonna have to do that clip for sure. You got a nice little shimmy right there. All yeah, right. Monique Coleman, Monique, thanks so much for coming on the Shaken and Stirred show. You are such a pleasure, such a delight. We wish you the best of luck with everything. We'll be looking out for your book, so please send it along. And you and I should have a little chat about publishers on the side. We'll hit each other up. Um, everybody, Shaken and Stirred show on Instagram at the Shaken and Stirred show. Um, fantastic. Thanks so much. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.